gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Welcome to the 459 service. <laughs> it worked earlier. Thank you for being here tonight. J.B. Phillips, if that's for me, tell him I'm busy. <laughs> J.B. Phillips wrote a, an intriguing, in fact, delightful little book that I have in my library that's entitled, Your God is Too Small. And in that book, he describes many of the inadequate views that people have of God. And when you think about it, I think even representative in the church of our Lord, there probably is a wide variation of views about what really God is all about. I have a, a lesson in my files that I, uh, I hope for what will be obvious reasons. I have presented many, many times in gospel meetings. I bet I've, I've preached that lesson 150 times. And it's based on the prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15, but the title of the lesson is What Kind of Father is God? In more recent years in the presentation of that lesson, I have also mentioned the fact that I realize that for some, the image of a father is not necessarily a positive image. There are kids who've grown up in homes with abusive fathers. There are kids who've grown up in homes with absent fathers, and so Nowadays, just looking at God as a father is not necessarily a positive thing. But when we look at him in scripture, it is. And that's the point, of course, of the lesson. And knowing that the father in the, in the story of the prodigal son represents God gives us, I think, some tremendous and powerful insights into the nature of God. But back to Philip's book. If we relate to God at all, or certainly how we relate to God, is going to depend upon how we look at him. Philip said to some God is uh, the kind old man upstairs. You can feel free to think of him as a grandfather. You sit in his lap, but he's too gentle and kind, too mild-mannered to ever want to judge or punish anyone. And then there are others who have a concept of God that is at the, at the polar opposite of that, and it's the celestial policeman. God is just waiting for some minor infraction on your part so that he can give you some kind of citation. And then there are others that look at God as some kind of cosmic killjoy, that he's here just to, you know, to rain on your parade, and that those of us who preach are just his emissaries that are specifically employed to keep people from having a good time. I, I as, as my dear friend who recently passed and mentor brother Tom Holland used to say, I deny the allegation and in turn charge the alligator. Uh, th those allegations are all untrue. There is no sum or substance to any of them. But I think Philip's point is well made, and that really is, I've told you, the premise of the book already. Whether one relates to God, how one relates to God, depends on our view of God. So in reality, it really depends on how we not just look at the world, but how we look at him. Now, constituting a part of that is certainly our, our understanding of how God blesses us. And I realized that to, largely to those who are outside of the church, this discussion would mean absolutely nothing. But I hope to those of us who are a part of the church, it will mean everything. And that is that the more we grow in Christ, and the more we, as we're going to be seeing in this lesson, the more we see God at work in our lives, the more grateful we are. 
the more gratitude that we have in our heart. I think that's true, uh, or at least it ought to be, of every maturing Christian in our Christian walk. The, the farther we walk, the longer we walk, the more we've seen God and his dependable resources at work in our lives, the more, the more grateful we are and the more humble we are in recognizing that it's not about us, it's about him. And it's about his power and his majesty. And it's not about our righteousness or our goodness. It's about the righteousness that has been imputed to us by the Lord Jesus Christ and his goodness that has motivated our God to allow that son to die on the old rugged cross. So as, as we view God, as the sovereign ruler of the universe and as the giver of all of these blessings, it's going to be quite natural for us to want to be grateful to him. And I also believe that's one of the reasons why worship becomes more meaningful as we grow in Christ. As more of a spiritual maturity comes uh, with this whole idea of our Christian walk, then we're looking for opportunities. We're not spurning opportunities we're, or forsaking them. We're looking for opportunities to be able to come with God's, collectively with God's people and to express our deep gratitude in song, in prayer, and in the other avenues of worship. As we count our blessings, we include the wonderful gift of salvation. Doesn't that, that has to be somewhere as the cornerstone of our gratitude, doesn't it? We're thankful for the fact that God saved us that we are his people, and that we can pillow our heads each night with a peace that passes all understanding. Or as Paul stated it in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9 and verse 15, and I don't believe it could be stated any better, but these are inspired words, I remind you, when he said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Context demands that he was talking about our salvation and I believe that just pretty much sums it up. Does Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. If we were to try to describe to someone or paint a picture of what it means to be saved, to be in a, in a proper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it literally would be indescribable. So it's a fantastic comfort to know that my place in heaven is certain. It has been sealed by the blood of Jesus and by the earnest of the Holy Spirit. We also include, I think, in that gratitude list, in that uh, list of blessings, our daily relationship with that Lord, not just the fact that he said, I, I'm going to save you at the point of baptism. I will wash away all of your sins. That's where you contact the, the blood of Jesus. But the Lord wants an ongoing relationship with every one of us. It's not just a matter of, of, of save them and drop them. It's a matter of wanting to build that relationship and make it stronger day by day. And then on, to, on that gratitude list, we have to, surely we have to add our families. I don't think I'm the Lone Ranger here. I think every one of us in this audience, in our prayer time each day, remembers and thanks God for the blessing of our families and our, and our health and our relationships with others that bring us so much joy. You know, there are a lot of people in the world that don't know any of those things. They don't know family. They don't know, I mean, true friendship with other people. They don't know what it's like to be a part of a church like this one where we can cry with one another and we can laugh with and rejoice and celebrate with one another. But that's, that's all we've received in life. Isn't there another side of the ledger, though? And this is a little tricky, so hang with me. Isn't there another side of the ledger that might be considered the debit side when we began to count our many blessings and name them one by one? Haven't we all received some measure of pain? I, I know that I know the answer to that for every one of us. All of us have received some distress in life. We've all experienced some heartache. There's not a person 
on a pew anywhere in this building under the sound of my voice that hasn't had some kind of heartache? Didn't we receive some things that we didn't like and that we certainly would never have thought to have asked for? Let's not make the mistake of viewing God as the giver of only the things we like and that, that he somehow shields us from all of the things we, that we don't like. The idea of, of God as the health and wealth God of heaven is certainly not founded in Scripture. God blesses his people. There's no doubt about it. All things do work together for good to them that love the Lord. That's a matter of scriptural record. But the Bible never tells us that God is going to somehow immunize us from the problems and the difficulties of life. If you found a verse that tells you that, I want to know where it is because I've read this book several times and I haven't found it. God, God is not going to keep us from the difficulties of life because he knows that is a part of the refining process. So let's not make the mistake of viewing God as the giver of only the things we like and not shielding us from the things that we don't like. Jesus said clearly that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. This is a part of Matthew 5 and his Sermon on the Mount. And the sun to rise or sends the rain then on the righteous and the unrighteous. Our Heavenly Father knows that we have need of all kinds of things, both good and bad, both pleasant and painful. And he knows that we need these things in order to help us grow. Think about your relationship to your own children if you've had some or if you have some now, especially if they're small. You think about those first fledgling steps. You think about them learning the power of language and those first few words that they speak and how that we aid them and we help them. But we don't guard them from every difficulty of life. We know that child is going to fall down many, many times before they learn how to be able to navigate on those little legs. And we know that they'll probably mispronounce words and use them incorrectly from time to time as they're learning the power of language. We don't guard them from that. It's a part of the learning process. We know that as loving parents. But by God's wisdom and love, he sees that both the good and the bad are a part of our lives, the difficulty as well as the blessing. Think of it this way. The gift of food would probably not be appreciated if it were not for our ability to get hungry. Now, you don't need to write that down because it's not necessarily insightful. Every one of us knows that. If you never got hungry, then the idea of satiating that hunger by eating something, and, and usually, or maybe I should say especially if it's something that is your favorite, would not necessarily be a pleasant experience. My mom used to say my, when my dad worked construction and oftentimes would bring workers home uh, uh, to, to eat a meal with us, that she loved to feed hungry people. Emphasis on hungry. Because if you're hungry, guess what? It doesn't take a whole lot to please you. And that really is true about our physical appetites. If we did not have the ability to get hungry, then, of course, uh, the gift of food would not be so precious. There would be no refreshment in the gift of a cool drink of water if we did not have the capacity of getting thirsty. Unless one knows what it's like to be lonely, then we cannot adequately enjoy what being a real friend Having a real friendship is all about. The Apostle James tells us in our text, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That is, God does not vacillate in the giving of these gifts. God is not good to us one day and then decides that he's going to be mean to us the next day. God is a God without variation. Jesus Christ the same today, yesterday, and forever, Hebrews 13 and verse 8 says. We need to put that in our spiritual banks, don't we? We need to spend every day, not just in our prayer life, 
but in our constant awareness of the fact that God blesses us and that he is the giver of every good gift. And and if that doesn't make you grateful, I don't know what will. But he also instructs us in James chapter 1, backing up just a few verses from verse 17, our text, and looking at verses 2 and 3, he starts this great letter. And by the way, if you've not read the five-chapter book of James recently, I, I would encourage you to do that before you go to bed. It'll take you about 10 minutes. It's not a very long book. But the hallmark, in my estimation, of the book of James is its practicality. James is telling us how to live the Christian life where the rubber hits the road. He's telling us where the source of strength and blessings come from and how that we can best each day make the right choices and the right decisions that will honor and glorify God. But it's kind of strange with all of that positive spirit and attitude in mind that James does communicate that he begins the book in verses 2 and 3, just, I mean, right at the beginning of the book by saying, consider it all joy. Okay, I'm on board so far. I like the subject of joy. I like thinking about joy. I like to think about the things that bring joy. But then he takes a turn with that thought when he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith works endurance. Wait a minute. Count it all joy when you have troubles? That's exactly what James is saying. Because, he says, the payoff is spiritual endurance if you never have hardship if the road is always downhill and never uphill if you always live on the mountaintop never in the valley you will never learn spiritual strength endurance and perseverance and so James is saying you need to mature to the point where you can actually look at those troublesome circumstances in your life and count it all joy you can praise God for the fact that these things have come into your life, knowing that they will work endurance. When we list and count our blessings, we need to be sure that we have made that list complete. Here's another thought. We need to be grateful for all blessings. Should we be grateful for the gifts that we've received in life or just the ones we like? You know, in our culture, we have a tradition of giving bridal showers. I think there was one here at the building today. It's a wonderful tradition because... Well, number one, because men are not invited. There are some things we'd just as soon be left out of. And thank you, ladies. But it's, that's the only amen I've gotten all day. But it is a wonderful tradition because newlyweds typically, now I mean typically, unless they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, have so very little. And yet starting off their married life, they need so very much. I can remember back over the years how that Mia and I received enough sheets and towels at the various showers that were graciously given to us to last us, you know, 10 or 15 years. We still have some of the things that we got at showers 46 years ago. I mean, we really needed those because... I mean, it was tough when, when we first got married, and some of you can relate to that. I mean, uh, the, the, the rainbow in our neighborhood was in black and white. That's how poor we were. And Mia almost bled to death one time because I was trying to find a drugstore that would sell me just one Band-Aid. You know what I'm talking about. So, so times were tough, and, and newlyweds need things. We need things as, as, as a startup kit to, to get our, our, our new home moving. After the shower and the wedding, though, Again, here's a, one of the good. It's usually the bride who will sit down and write some thank you notes. 
In front of her are all kinds of gifts, or at least she has a list of those gifts and, and who gave them. And, and there are all kinds of wonderful and needed, useful gifts that she loves very much and can certainly see the practical use for. But she can't help but notice that she got four toasters and three blenders. Now, you do not have to be a newlywed to know that you can only use one blender or one toaster at a time. So here's the question. Is she grateful for all of them? Is she grateful for all three blenders and all four toasters? And there are all those run-of-the-gift-shop kinds of items that, 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 that you'll receive at a shower, you know, like the blue and, 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 and uh, salt and pepper shakers and the yellowish-green candy dish that, as she's evaluating the list that she doubts that she will ever use. Should she send thank-you notes for just the things that she's grateful for? And you know the right answer to that. That would be thoughtless, and it would be rude. Her challenge is to be truthful and gracious, but to gratefully acknowledge all of those things because she knows the kind of heart that, that gave them. What does the Bible say about the subject of gratitude? I think that ought to be a paramount interest to every one of us. That is, should we be grateful for all our blessings or just for the ones that we've enjoyed? Here's what Paul said, Ephesians 5 verse 20. You know these verses, but, but I need to remind you of their their, their relevance to this discussion tonight, always giving thanks for all things. I've underlined in my Bible, if you don't mind writing in yours, you might want to underscore that as well. Giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a challenge. If you look at that verse and, and understand the depth of its meaning, to, get, to give thanks for all things is the challenge of every Christian. Or what about this one? In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, of course. The apostles, I think, give us an excellent example of praising and thanking God for even the things that fall on the negative side of the ledger. If you haven't read the book of Acts lately, go back and read it. By the way, there's a reason why it's called the Acts of the Apostles and not the good intentions of the Apostles. These were men who served the Lord in very difficult circumstances. And when you see some of the things that they experienced, you see when their lives were literally on the line for their presentation of the gospel message, or when you see them unjustly judged and thrown into prison and shackled because they were guilty of nothing more than the presentation of the saving message of Jesus Christ, it can help you to appreciate to some degree, number one, how good we have it. I haven't been arrested for preaching the gospel lately. How about you? And we also help, it helps us to appreciate the depth of their commitment to the Lord to know that they were willing to endure those things and yet still give thanks to God who allowed those things to happen. Lesser people would have been sitting in a jail cell singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, but not these men. It's interesting to note what they gave thanks for. They were arrested for the preaching of the message of Jesus. Acts 5 and verse 40 is where I want us to lock in on very briefly. Acts 5.40 says, after calling the apostles in, they, and they, if you look back at the antecedent, indicates the council that arrested them and was about to put them in prison. Then they, the council, flogged them. Flogged them. Underline that in your Bible and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then release them. You want to know what a flogging is in North Georgia terms? That's a whooping on steroids. They flogged these men. Some people did not survive the flogging. Now, that was certainly a blessing that they could have done without. Don't you agree? 
But how did they view it? How did they respond to that negative? That's why I don't, don't want us to read just verse 40. Here it is, verse 41. If you're looking at it in your Bible, follow along. So they went on their way. Here they've been flogged for the preaching of the gospel. They went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer in his name. I don't know how you react to that, but that blows me away. They were thanking God for the privilege of being identified sufficiently with the Lord Jesus that they would suffer for him. They at least know who we are. They know what we're in town for. They know what we're doing. We're preaching the message of Christ. And so at least we're identified with the right people and with the right cause. They thank God for the fact that they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. A small child was, is not naturally grateful. He has to be taught to be, to be, to, or to say thank you and then consequently to at least over the course of time develop some measure of gratitude. Isn't that right? So we start with the process of saying thank you. Although we know that the child probably has zero gratitude in their heart at the time that they're saying those words, but hopefully that will come later. It starts with saying the right things. And so that child receives something he likes, and in his flush of pleasure or anticipation, he may even forget to say thank you. Or he receives something that he doesn't like, and he sees in his little child mind absolutely no reason to say thank you. It's not something that I wanted anyway, you know. Socks for Christmas, can you imagine that? So why should I ever want to thank somebody for that? How many times do parents have to tell their child as they're growing up, now what do you say? You know, it's, that's just the perennial question, isn't it? It's in every home. What do you say? The small child is ungrateful. What's this church? Because he has, she has no idea of how things are. Now think about that for a moment. They have an incorrect view of reality. They're ignorant then about how to receive a gift. Just think about it. When a child arrives in this world, all of his needs are met automatically, or so it seems. Whenever he's wet or uncomfortable or hungry or tired, there is someone at their beck and call. All they got to do is just cry out, and immediately someone appears magically and automatically, and they take care of that need. So water and air and warmth and food and all of it is just, just there for them. That's how we start out life on this planet, and it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You kind of wish that that would stay that way, but it doesn't. He has no concept, watch this carefully, that someone is there working hard, often at great personal sacrifice, to provide all of those things for him or her. Parents, therefore, spend a lot of time and energy trying to help young children to see life as it really is. And then older children move into the next level of gratitude, and that is of being grateful for what they enjoy. That's the next level of maturity. Number one, just assume that all my needs are going to be met. That's, that's an infant. But then later on, just giving thanks, being grateful for those things that we enjoy. And that, too, is really inadequate for the same reason. They still don't see things as they really are. How many times have teen heard the lecture that begins with, now when I was your age, probably no more than a thousand or two thousand times. Why do parents insist on saying that? Because children have to, have to understand that, that we're trying to tell them something. There's something important, that, a message that follows that question. Parents want children to know that things haven't always been that way. It, it isn't automatic that someone had to cause that. And children need to know that so they can be 
appropriately thankful. So note this, if you forget everything tonight, here's what I want you to go home with. A mark of real maturity is genuine gratitude. Doesn't matter if you're 18 months or 100 years old. That's what real maturity is all about. It is learning to be grateful. Now, as we mature, we learn to be grateful even for the painful experiences. That's what James said, but that usually comes later and not at the time of the pain. I I can look back on times when my dad spanked me, and that was not an experience that was specifically uh, designed to be pleasant. It was designed to be unpleasant. In fact, parents, are you listening? If the spanking experience is pleasant, you're doing it wrong, okay? But at the time, I can tell you, even though many, many years, decades have, have, have passed since that time, that I was extremely ungrateful. Am I the only one who was ever like that when you received a spanking? I was extremely ungrateful, and that is a tremendous understatement. But now that I'm a grown man, you know what? My perspective has changed. I am grateful every day for a mom and dad who loved me enough to discipline me and to set rules and parameters on my actions and help me to make good choices. I am so thankful. The same dynamic applies to God's children. The Bible states this principle clearly in Hebrews 12, verse 11. And man, if this is a passage you haven't studied and wrestled with lately, please do. Hebrews 12, 11. We're almost through. Hang with me. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. That's just what we were talking about, it, wasn't it? That's, not ex- that's an experience that's not pleasant. It is not joyful, the writer says, but sorrowful. And yet to those who have been trained by it, Here's an important word. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So even when we are experiencing the discipline of a loving God, at the moment, that is not pleasant. It is sorrowful, the writer says. But afterward, he says, it will yield the right fruit if we allow ourselves to be trained by it. Some people just resent the one who presents or who gives the discipline, who administers that discipline. But others are wise enough to know that this is a lesson that I need to learn. Once there was a little four-year-old girl who had misbehaved. For punishment, her parents decided that they were going to make her sit at the little table in the dining area instead of the big table with the rest of the family. And hopefully that she would be allowed that time to reflect upon her misdeeds. Before they ate, the mother suggested that the little girl be the one to say the blessing. Maybe this will also cause some deep reflection on her part. So as they stood around her little table and asking her to, or in fact, commanding her to say the blessing, what she said was this. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. (laughs) Her gratitude would have to wait till later on. This is my central message to you tonight. The depth and the richness of your relationship to God depends on your spiritual maturity level. It, it, in point of fact, really depends on how you look at it. Some people, like that little girl, are unaware that their blessings really do come from God. They walk on his earth, they breathe his air, they enjoy life and health, and never think for the first moment that this came from a God who loves us. And yet, in their ignorance, they believe that these things, you know, they're just automatic, like, like an infant does. They don't seem to understand that they, they've been caused by someone, if this lesson doesn't do anything, 
else, I hope that it will help you to be more aware, more observant, and more appreciative of all of God's blessings. It's been hot, hasn't it? I had a funeral yesterday, and I promised the people at the graveside I'm going to be brief. I said, I don't know how you feel, but it's hot where I'm standing. It's hot out there. But you go out after the sun goes down, and last night at least there was a little refreshing breeze and a beautiful sunset. And I thought, my God made that for me and for you. Every day, find something to thank God for. And you'll just keep growing and growing in Christ till you don't recognize yourself anymore. Isn't that a part of Christian maturity? A large part of Christian maturity is just learning how to be grateful and acknowledge the God who is the giver of all of these things. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Well, I know that's so. And so there are some who are ungrateful when they're little because they don't have a relationship with the giver of those gifts. And then others, like the older child, recognize that the blessings they enjoy, they come from God. And for those pleasant experiences, they're grateful, and the relationship to God has begun to deepen. And still others who are even more mature realize, finally, finally, that all things really do work together for good to them who love the Lord. And so they have a rich and stable and unwavering relationship with God. They seek his hand in all aspects of their life. They feel his presence with them in the valleys as well as on the mountaintops. You can learn to say with Paul, this is Philippians 4 verse 11, by the way, if you want the Bible for it. Paul from that Roman prison wrote these words, I have learned to be content in whatever situation I am in. Wow, that's where I want to be. How about you? And then finally, can you also say with Paul, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Do you know the gift of salvation, the blessing of salvation in your life right now? If not, make this the moment when you repent of your sins, confess Jesus as the Son of God, and are baptized to have all of your past sins washed away, and do it now while we stand, while we sing. There's a fountain free, tis for you and me. Let us haste, oh haste, to its spring. Tis the fount of love from the source above, and he bids us all freely drink. Will you come?